Coming to you from San Mateo, California, this is Stories from the Sales Floor, the podcast that connects you with crushers of quotas, barons of the bottom line, and revenue-generating royalty. Here are your hosts, Ben Sardella, co-founder and CRO at Datanize, and Brandon Redlinger, head of growth at Persist IQ. Welcome to today's show. I'm Brandon Redlinger. And I am Ben Sardella. And you know what, Ben? Love is in the air today. Love is in the air. Uh, we're sitting on the same couch. You be careful. Don't get fresh with me here. <laughs> uh, so yeah, today's episode is all about the butterflies you felt the first time you sealed the deal. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What are you talking about there, Ben? <laughs> so what I'm talking about is that moment when you realized you fell in love with sales. Ah, oh, got it, got it. Yeah, no, it's, it's a special moment, right? It's a really special moment. And we asked our guests today to recall the time, that moment when they fell in love with sales. So let's, let's just jump right in. So our first guest here is Jack Kosakowski, and he is the global head of B2B social sales execution at Creation Agency. That's a mouthful. I, I, I have a hard time saying all that. Yeah, I hope they have like long business cards, not those like those square ones that people seem to be having (laughs) lately cover all of that. So sales runs in Jack's family. Uh, His grandfather worked with one of the greatest salespeople of all time, Zig Ziglar. I love Zig. What a legend. I know, right? And it was the time he spent hanging out with his grandfather that really made Jack fall in love with sales. Well, you know, it's funny. When I grew up, um, you know, my mom was a single mom. So I would spend a lot of time with my grandparents. And my grandfather was probably the most amazing um, sales professional that I ever lived. I mean, he you know, didn't even graduate middle school and he made you know, millions of dollars in sales. And he was selling, I mean, when he started, he was selling pots and pans in your home. I mean, he was door knocking and cooking you a dinner with salad master pots and pans. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those, but <laughs> they're like $4,000 back in 1963 or something like that. Um, and you know, he worked with Zig Ziglar. My grandfather actually... Uh, was friends with Zig Ziglar, you know, crazy. I have in my cube a picture of them together, oh, and great. that all really that all that all started at Salad Master. And I was around not necessarily when Zig was there because I never um, actually got to meet you know Zig in in those days. But I would go to my grandfather's um, sales rallies, and he was you know the regional. He was kind of the big dog, the vice president or whatever um, term you want to say for a company called MasterGuard, and he was number one for so many years. Um, they lied, cheated, tried to steal to beat him, and they couldn't beat him. And I would go to these big rallies and see my grandfather. I can remember when I was six years old, you know, up in front of a thousand people, you know, speaking. And I, I call it lighting people on fire, right? I think that that's kind of like the lost art of our generation, the millennials. We don't get to see those big, massive sales rallies where, like, you know, sales leaders are up there and they're just. I mean, it's it's a it's a feeling that I still think about today. My grandfather passed about two years ago, but. I, he had a special spark where he literally people would rush to their chairs to, when he would get up to speak. I mean, he was just he had this presence about him. And ever since then, um, I kind of knew my calling was going to be in sales. I mean, his name was Jack. They called him Black Jack. Um, and my I was named after him. I'm Jack. So but here's the here's the thing. I actually went to college <laughs> for a hospitality and restaurant management degree and worked at, you know, in restaurants for the first, you know, well, in college and then the first, you know, year, two years after college, 
I thought I was going to go into the, the Starwood Management and ma- uh, Hospitality Management and Training Program. <laughs> and I remember one day I walked into my boss's office and I saw all of his kids, kind of like the evolution of his kids. He had all these pictures. And like his kids would be like one, two, three, you know. And I'm like, dude, why do you have all these pictures of your kids? Like it's almost like a sh- weird kind of shrine. And he's like, you know, if you want to be in this industry, then you're going to be married to it. And I thought to myself, oh, man, this is why, you know, my calling was sales. Like I just knew. So, you know, I immediately stopped, you know, doing that and went back into sales. And I'm telling you, I can't think of any other career that I would ever want. Um, You know, maybe there's a part of me that wants to carry on, you know, my legacy, my grandfather's legacy. Uh, You know, maybe that's it. I don't know. But I wake up, you know, sometimes I can't go to bed because I'm so excited to start the day uh, because I just love sales. I love the people. I love the ups. I love the downs. I love the, you know, the wins. I love the losses. Every single aspect of sales to me is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I wish, you know, more people had kind of that fire and passion because I think that's what really drives, you know, companies and great organizations is when they have people that have that kind of fire and tenacity about them. And I think if we could get organizations and the leadership in those organizations to start to light us young millennials on fire, especially, and bring back that old mentality, I think we could really, really change the whole perception of sales you know, today. Our next guest was born into one of the royal families in sales. So wearing her crown to the podcast today is Alice Hyman. And yes, that is Hyman as in Miller Hyman. Her dad is the one and only Steve Hyman. And she knew Bob Miller since she was about three years old. So needless to say, she learned what it meant to be great at sales from a pretty early age. And now she's a pretty well-known keynote speaker, author, and coach. So Alice fell in love with sales long before ever actually even working in sales. It was when she was a teacher talking to students when she went uh, head over heels for sales. I think I really fell in love with sales while I was teaching. And I was a teacher uh, for 13 years right out of college. I was a special ed teacher and then I was a reading specialist. And of course, I didn't go into sales, teaching people don't think of it as sales, right? But when I realized that I could convince a child that they could do something that they never thought they could do, it was amazing. And that was the hardest kind of selling I've ever done, other than convincing a parent that they had to do something to help their child. Um, So I think I really fell in love with selling, even though I didn't consider it selling back then. Um, but that's really indeed what I was doing. And then with my first business, I think that's when I knew I was selling and fell in love with it. Um, I started my first business while I was still teaching and I wrote a business plan, not really knowing anything about it. See, I didn't go to business school. Of course, I went to school to be a teacher and then I got my master's degree in teaching as well. But I, I saw this need in the marketplace And so I thought, wow, I've got to fill this need. And I'm just, I've always been that way. I'm one of those people, you know, a true entrepreneur. I see something and I just have to figure out how to fix it and make some sort of business out of it, a nonprofit or a for-profit. And I've been doing that really my whole life. So I 
saw this need and I started doing this business sort of out of my home. And then a lot of people kept telling me, oh, this is a real business. You should do this. So I wrote a business plan and got funding from my dad. (laughs) Um, And it was a loan. And I just want to, for the record, say that I paid every cent of it back. Um, And I, yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) I opened Book Adventures, and that was a resource center for parents and teachers. And I sold books and materials to teachers um, and to parents that would help them improve the way they help their their child learn to read. And really, things that would help children learn to enjoy reading so that they would want to do it. And I absolutely loved, loved, loved it. Every single sale I made was like a gift because I was able to really help someone in a way that they were not able to get that help anywhere else. So I think that was really when I fell in love with selling. Yeah, I can totally relate to her story. Before I took my first job in sales, I actually taught kindergarten for a year. So a little known fact about me. And you really have to learn how to motivate kids in the right way. And each kid is is different. So you can sharpen your sales skills pretty quickly inside the classroom, simply talking and interacting with the kids. Uh, but that's actually not where I really fell in love with sales. I was selling uh, long before I was a teacher. Um, I was one of those kids who was always selling something from baseball cards to, you know, the lemonade stand to Boy Scout popcorn. But the moment I fell in love with sales, um, I was probably around eight or nine years old. My mom had a craft store inside the mall and my older brother and I wanted to make some extra money. Uh, So we asked her if we could... Um, get a little shelf space in her store and we were pretty crafty kids so we made lanyards and hip necklaces back when you know those were popular in the early 90s Uh, so my mom would let my brother and I put our items out and uh, she let us talk to her customers and and sell them on our goods and uh, you know at the time we were each getting about ten dollars for allowance each week which even ten dollars felt like a lot of money and i remember after the first week when my mom was paying my brother and i out Um, and you have to know my brother and i are pretty close in age he's 18 months older than me so we were pretty competitive And, and he was like the golden child you know very smart couldn't do anything wrong and my mom always called me the wild child but you know i was the hustler i always wanted things more than he did um and you know in this case as long as i sold more than my brother i would be happy and i remember that night she closed the gate to her shop and she went behind the cash register and my brother and I lined up shoulder to shoulder. Uh, He was actually a little taller than me, so it was like nose to shoulder. But, um, you know, this was this was when, you know, I could barely even see over the counter. But we both put our hands up as quickly as we could to to get our money. And, you know, even that was a race between him and me. Uh, But my mom would pay us in in one dollar bills i I think she was a pretty smart lady she knew that that way we would spend less of it and we felt like we had more so you know i remember her turning to to my older brother with the wad of cash in her hand and she leaned over and started counting out his earnings you know placing each bill in his hand as she counted you know one dollar two three and she got up to ten dollars and i was blown away you know he had earned more money selling goods um, at my mom's store than he did actually doing chores around the house Uh, but she kept going 11 12 
13 and at this point I, I just I felt defeated you know I knew I had been beat you know I kind of slouched over and kind of waited for the final tally of how much my brother sold 1650 which was so much money at the time um, and then she turned to me and I was just hoping that I that I got at least 10 bucks and she started counting out putting each bill in my hand one at a time one two three and it felt like forever and then she got to 10 and I breathed a sigh of relief and then she kept going 13 14 15 and I was just praying you know there's hope maybe I did sell more than than my brother 16 17 18 19 1925 I couldn't believe it I, I had sold more than my brother, and I, I just looked over at him, looked over and up with, with kind of a smile on my face, and, you know, I felt unstoppable. My chest puffed out a little bit, and I, I could tell he just wanted to, like, slap that smirk right off of my face. But that's when I really fell in love with sales. That sense of pride and accomplishment was, uh, I guess, uh, all that I really needed to, to get hooked. And you know, I, I remember that night, all I wanted to do was run home, make some more goods and wake up early, come back to the shop and start selling again. You know, I was on, I was on a, a high um, and that's really what has kept me around selling. I always sold the most most Boy Scout popcorn. And, you know, when I first took my job as a sales rep in New York City and in sales for the first time. I heard had some early success and ended up as the top rep my first month. And, and uh, you know, I guess here we are years later. And I, I think the moral of the story is that pride and a sense of accomplishment can really go a long way in motivating uh, your sales force. Um, but that's enough about me. Let's hear some other stories from our guests. Moving right along, we've got Sally Doobie. She's the West Coast GM of the Bridge Group, one of my favorite uh, set of folks in the in the industry. I love what Trish Bertuzzi and Joey Maxson and Sally and the, and the rest of the team are doing. It's awesome. Yeah, definitely a great group over there. And Sally doesn't think there was one specific moment when she fell in love with sales, and it just kind of happened over time for her. Like most relationships, uh, similar to our podcast, I'd say. Yeah. Here's Sally. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of interesting because there really wasn't one particular moment. Um, it was kind of a series of things that just happened. I graduated from college with a business degree in hotel and restaurant management. Um, and I worked at Weston Hotels for two years after college. And when one of my bosses laughed and went into insurance sales, he recruited me to join him. And so by that time, I realized it was going to be really difficult to make money in hotels and restaurant management. And the appeal of being in control of my own destiny swayed me to jump from hotel and restaurant management into insurance sales because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so while I didn't like selling insurance... Um, I was actually out cold calling individuals about life insurance. And to me, there's got to be nothing tougher than, you know, talking to people about it. Hey, are you set up? Is your family set up for, you know, when you're not going to be around anymore? Um, and literally, I went door to door uh, of different businesses and office buildings, leaving my card and trying to talk to people. So, 
very old school, but I picked up a lot of good skills and formulas for success by doing that. So when I got into selling computers and applied that knowledge, um, plus worked for a really great salesperson who was one of my bosses, um, I was able to adapt my own style. And when I worked hard and smart, I saw really nice size commission checks, which just got me hooked and stayed on with it. Yeah, that, that's great. I love it. So talk to me about that that moment. So you're you're in um, door-to-door sales, sales um, selling insurance, life insurance, and you're also doing these cold calls, which, of course, doesn't sound much fun at all. What made <laughs> you want to stay in sales and switch over to the computer, selling computers? You know, again, I really think it was that I was in control of my own destiny, and I knew I had a great work ethic, and that I was very persistent, and so it was something that, again, I, I liked being in control, um, and when I was in hotel and restaurant management and doing the catering stuff, I, I didn't really feel like I was in control of my own destiny, and it kind of sometimes didn't matter how hard I worked or how how smart I worked, you know, you could just see that you weren't going to be able to really impact your career or even how much money you would make. Um, and so I just love the fact that in sales, um, you know, it was really about me and my effort and my skills that could impact how far I could go. So as Sally experienced, I mean, we all love getting those commission checks, but really what they are is a vehicle to control of our own destiny and I think that's that's the important thing and that's the the easiest way to fall in love with sales certainly one of the things that made me fall in love uh, in my professional career now up next is Greg Macbeth who's the head of sales and customer success over at Crunchbase yeah and Greg kind of likens sales to one of those persistent admirers you know you keep saying no to them and you keep saying no you keep saying no then after a while kind of wears on you and you say yes to just one date, and then bam, the next thing you're married. <laughs> so Craig started as an engineer, but over time he tried selling a little here, a little there, until finally he took the plunge and he hasn't looked back since. Yeah, uh, sales was actually more of an acquired taste for me. Uh, so I uh, got an opportunity to join Cisco in a technical sales capacity uh, actually through uh, a friend of mine who went through a training program there. And um, I, I, at the time, was at a, an engineering job and just didn't really like it, didn't feel like it gave me enough opportunity to interact with people on a daily basis. I was doing a lot of work inside of Excel and programming and, and testing. Um, and so um, what really attracted me and what I really enjoyed about sales at that point was uh, the ability to kind of mix and match a little bit of the, the technical skill set that I had developed over the years as well as um, work with people, work alongside people, and have that opportunity to interact. Uh, and so, so honestly, there was never a, a kind of a love at first sight moment, if you will. Uh, it was much more of a over time. I started to be more and more comfortable with it, more and more interested. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity to to really sort of expand that skill set and startup, I think, is where I really first started thinking about it as a long term career. And finally, we have David Brock, author of the Sales Manager Survival Guide, definitely one of the best books that I have read this year. Um, and he is also the president and CEO of Partners in Excellence, which is a sales and marketing consultancy. And David was actually going for his PhD in physics at Berkeley. 
smart dude, uh, and then was offered a VP of product development uh, at a startup. So. Yeah, and the business uh, ultimately ended up failing, but he learned no matter how cool the product is, sales and marketing are absolutely essential. Um, and he ended up working for IBM, uh, but not in sales. And well, let's let's just let David finish the story. Yeah, I think I mean if I really go back, is I being in sales was probably the furthest thing from my mind. I was a Matthew science type. I. Uh, actually was going for a PhD program in physics at uh, UC Berkeley and got involved in a startup company. I had met a guy when I was skiing up in Heavenly Valley and we started talking about an invention. Really cool, uh, cut a long story short, is he offered me the job while I was going through my PhD program to be VP of engineering and product development. I thought, you know, here I am, a 21-year-old kid, and I'm already VP of engineering and product development for a neat startup company. And as we went through, I found, you know, we had lots of interesting opportunities, but ultimately the business failed about a year and a half later. And I discovered there's a lot more to business than cool products and really around sales and marketing. So got an MBA, ended up going to the darkest side of dark sides, particularly a physicist could ever go to. I ended up, up selling mainframe computers for IBM in New York City. Um, and I got that job because IBM told me I couldn't sell. And I told them I'd go to every office in IBM and until I found a manager I could convince that uh, would let me sell. And it happened to be the second office I went to. Uh, the guy hired me, and, and since then I've had a great time. And that is our show. You know, Ben, I was, I was a little worried it was going to get a little too sappy there and at the beginning with all the love. Yeah, no. Uh, nope, just nope. straight business sure. here. Yeah. I almost wanted to break out into like a love solo, but I, I think we would have lost some <laughs> some subscribers. Yeah, we don't want to do that. that. Yeah. We, we got to hold on to whatever we we'll have here. stick to sales. Thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right, let's do it. So you have been listening to Stories from the Sales Floor. And a special thanks to our guests, Jack Kosakowski, Alice Hyman, Sally Doobie, Greg McBeth, and David Brock. Um, and coming up next week, we have part two of one of our, one of our most popular episodes. We asked our guests, What's some advice that you would give to your younger self, the you that's just getting started in sales? So we got a great episode coming up. Stay tuned next week. Follow us on Twitter at SFTSF Podcast. And for more content and info on how to connect with our guests, head over to salesfloorstories.com. Also check out our services. Visit datanize.com to find the perfect prospects at the right time. And to be more effective at following up with those prospects, check out PersistIQ.com. I'm Brandon Redlinger. And I'm Ben Sardella. We'll see you next time on Stories from the Sales Floor. And don't forget, share my shit. <laughs>